most products suck. <laughs> most products are not good enough. You know what I mean? Because if they were exceptional, then you wouldn't actually have a customer issue. That's the thing. It's an easy scapegoat of like, I'm not successful because I'm not one of these marketers. It's like, no, you're not successful because your shit sucks. Like, that's what it is. But it's okay. And that's why going zero to one is you still have to learn enough to promote so that you can fix the product so that it can get to the point where it's not so heavy on the promotion and then it's ultimately a balanced business. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. Hey, everybody, this is Jason Mark Campbell, and welcome back to Superhumans at Work. The guest that I bring today, oh, my God, you are all in for a treat. I just finished his book, which is the $100 million offer. He is the man behind acquisition.com. He is an entrepreneur, an investor, a philanthropist. It is the one and only Alex Harmozy. And he has launched a series of gym and fitness centers and really revolutionized the way that these gyms operate across the world by using interesting ways of presenting their offers. And this is really what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to talk about what is a grand slam offer? Why is it that we need to look at our businesses differently and not necessarily look at competitors on how we can just be slightly discounted, maybe do things a little better, but how we do it extremely better. And his book really breaks it down. We're going to talk a lot about it today. And if you're not familiar with this man, I mean, you should know that his businesses and his companies serve over 4,500 plus companies, as well as 10,000 plus customers. He has gyms across the world that use his model. And at this point, all of his umbrella of companies generate an upward of 85 million a year in cumulative sales across various industries. The man is an acquisition and monetization expert. He is a guest contributor on Forbes and Entrepreneur, and he's here with us. Alex, thank you so much for being here. Hopefully I'll live up to the introduction. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah, man. Like I said, like I just finished your book. And again, I just want to, all the viewers, like usually I mentioned this at the end, but if you're in business, you need to pick up a copy of his book, $100 million offers. It was one of the best books I've read in a long, long time as far as how much you can apply what is being taught. But before I get into topic, there was something I thought was very interesting in your bio. And there was a kind of a a mission or a vision, or at least a big goal that you set about being the most jacked billionaire. <laughs> and I wanted to ask you about that. Well, I just figured I was trying to create a smaller category to be number one in. <laughs> I was so, going to say, do you have any competitors? <laughs> well, Lee Labrada, I think is worth about 600 million. I think Arnold's just under a billion or just at a billion. So he'd probably be, I think I might have him now, but he's still Arnold. So I, you know, I either have to get above that and still maintain my jackness. I feel like I've seen memes of Jeff Bezos looking pretty cut as well. He is, but I'll be more jacked than him. That I can win on. I can win on being more jacked than Jeff Bezos. <laughs> That's hilarious. But I mean, think of you, you're on your journey, you're already there, going to the billion dollars here, which is fascinating. And when I was going through your book, I love that, you know, there's a moment of vulnerability you shared about how this kind of started because you had a moment where the cash flow wasn't going right. You had to make some big decisions. So I wanted to go back to that original point because a lot of people listening might be saying like, wow, okay, you've got it all together. You've probably all had this, but you came from humble beginnings and you had your own struggles. More struggles than wins is what it feels like. I think I share like one of those moments in the book. There are many others that are equally desperate and destitute and hopeless or seemingly hopeless. But yeah, I mean, I think the, the introduction of the book tells about 
basically the point where we pivoted from me actually running my own series of gyms to flying out and starting to fill other people's gyms up. That's when we started the turnaround business. So we turned around, I think, 33 gyms in a matter of like a year and a half. And then, you know, halfway through or near the end of that, we transitioned to do the licensing model. And once we transitioned to the licensing model, that's what everything really kind of took off. I think one of the interesting points for everyone who's listening about that story, and I, I talk about it more on the YouTube channel, but it's like, if you think about all of us as kind of vessels for skills, traits, beliefs, like you can have those same bucket of skills. Like fundamentally, I knew how to market, I knew how to sell, I knew, you know, a decent amount about fitness. And, you know, my first opportunity vehicle with that was I actually started a charity called the Free Training Project where I trained people for free and they would donate to a charity. And that was because I had a good consulting job. I didn't need the money and I just wanted to help people. And then, you know, from there, I started my first brick and mortar gym. So that was a different opportunity vehicle for the same kind of skills, et cetera. And I was able to scale those to six locations and I was able to do it a little bit differently than some people did. I was able to open up each of my facilities at full capacity on the first day, which I assumed everyone was doing that because I was like, why would you open an empty facility? But it turns out that wasn't common. <laughs> but, you know, the next iteration was flying out and doing this for other people, filling their gyms up to full capacity in a month. And so that's yet another vehicle for the same bucket of skills. And then from there, you know, transitioning to the licensing model where it was, I still was fundamentally had the same bucket of skills, but in a different monetization vehicle or opportunity vehicle. I'm not even sure if this one's in the book, but when we transitioned to the licensing model, it was by accident. It wasn't on purpose. So the turnaround business was difficult because we didn't control the fulfillment. So I, we would go in and fill a facility up. I would take on all the processing risks. So I would spend the money on airfare, flights, hotels, ad spend, you know, commissions to the sales guys, and I would process the money and then the gym would get the client. So it was a grand slam offer. They didn't have to pay anything. I would just fill their gyms up, right? The deal for me is I would get 100% of the revenue I would collect. That was the deal. And then they would get a free customer, right? The problem was that, you know, a handful of them were not as great people, you know, whatever you want to call it. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't really matter. But some of them were like, hey, if I just ask these people to refund once the guy leaves and then sign up back through me, it goes from being a free customer to a paid customer. But I had already incurred all the costs, you know, to do that. And so a couple months I had two gyms that did that out of like the six or seven that we had turned around. And if you you're running not a hundred percent margin business, but maybe a 20, 30% margin, if you just get erased on, you know, 30 or 40% of top line because it's refunded, then that more than eliminates your margin, you're going negative. And so it was actually in the kind of that, I don't even think I talked about this one in the book, but that kind of moment, yeah, that's a, it's probably for my next book. That moment of kind of desperation, I had to sell more each month to cover the refunds from the month before. So in the book, I just jump over this because it's like a whole nother part that sucked. Every month I had to sell more, which it felt like a death trap because it was like, I just sold every ounce of my being to get to cover last month's refunds. And then this month would start coming in and I have to sell more. So, you know, I went from just being a gym owner to within six months doing $400,000 a month in cash collected or just under that to cover refunds. It was just insane. And so my wife still had her, at the time she was my girlfriend, she still had a little side business, fitness. And it was like three or $4,000 a month, but it was, she was like, just in case this guy, you know, goes crazy or maybe he doesn't want to, you know, date me anymore, I've got this thing going. And I said, you know what, we know how to sell weight loss. Why don't we just sell your program, you become the face, I'll run all the marketing, the sales and all that kind of stuff. And we started to do it. Within 14 days, we were doing a thousand bucks a day. And I was like, holy cow, this could work. I'll take the eight sales guys that we had on the road, we'll bring them in, we'll do 8,000 a day. And like, we could turn this around. It was all digital products, so it was all margin. And so I was like, okay, this could happen. And so we actually made the decision to do that. That's not told in the book, right? 
we made the decision to make that call. So if you really want to talk about opportunity vehicles, this was yet another opportunity vehicle for the exact same bucket of skills, right? I knew how to market, knew how to sell, knew how to do fitness. And so the next month I had eight guys that were supposed to launch, eight gyms that were supposed to launch the next month. And so I called them up and I said, hey, you know, we're not doing this anymore. We're kind of pivoting our model. They hadn't paid me anything, so it wasn't really a big deal. But it turned out it was a big deal because they were like, dude, we need this. Our gyms are going to close. Like, you know, we're struggling, blah, blah, blah. And so finally I said, you know, I'll show you how to do it, but I'm not going to fly out there to save you if you can't sell. I'm done with that game. And they were like, no, no, that's fine. That's reasonable. It's okay. And they're like, well, how much to teach me? Because like you filled my friend's gym up and I picked the highest number I could think of at the time, which was $6,000. Like that was the highest number just to show you where, you know, that's where a beliefs limiting issue, right? My belief at the time. I said that because I wanted them to say no, because I didn't want to do it. I wanted to just be done and pivot to this weight loss thing. And he said, yes. I wonder how, how different my life would be if he had said no, right? So I, I was like, holy cow, I got $6,000. And the next phone call, I was like, well, shoot, I have to make this thing now. And so next phone call, I went on and I said the same thing. And he said, well, how much? And I said, $8,000. And he said, okay, that sounds fair. And so the rest of the day, I had six more phone calls after that. And I ended up selling $60,000 in sales that day. And it was selling a digital product I hadn't completely finished yet. <laughs> so the next 48 hours, I didn't sleep and I finished basically the acquisition piece. So I already had the sales training because that was how I trained my own sales guys. I had all the fulfillment stuff that I'd already made for the gyms. So I really just had to film how the marketing part worked, how the legion aspect worked. Yeah, I looked at Layla and I said, you know, I think we're still in the gym business. I was like, I think we're just doing it wrong. And so that was kind of the final pivot. So there was this micro pivot that even happened between the turnaround business and the licensing business. And I stumbled into the licensing business unknowingly. So it was not a master plan. And I think there's just something to be said for like, everyone has this illusion, I think, when they're starting out that like the business that they're in is going to be their Facebook. And if you look at most entrepreneurs, even the greats, with the exception of Jeff Bezos, like just about every entrepreneur out there had multiple things that happened beforehand where you acquire these skills, these beliefs, these decision-making processes that ultimately set you up for the thing that is going to be the massive success. And a part of that which to lend credence to what you were saying in the beginning, has something to do with product market fit, which, you know, I just use the word offer as an all-encompassing word to kind of exhibit that. But in the hardcore business world, they would just call that product market fit. And most people don't have it. They're trying to sell something. People don't want it. And so it's trying to figure out how to sell something. What I found out, which was hilarious to me, was that I would go fill these gyms up and they were like, hey, can you show me how you did that? And I was like, no. <laughs> I was like, no, this is like, this is how I make my money. I'm not going to show you how I do it. But it was silly because it was such a scarcity mentality. So that's another belief that was limiting me at the time, rather than just realize that I'll always be compensated for the amount of value that I provide. And it was far more efficient to not have to pay somebody to fly out, stay in a hotel, get a rental car. So there was all this value that I was leaving for hotels and costs that I could have otherwise been pushing to the person who ultimately bought the licensing program. So the average person who signed on, I just remember these stats from the first 30 days because I called back all the turnaround gyms as soon as the licensing thing started. And I was like, hey, remember that thing I did? Now you want me to show you how I did it? And they were like, sure. The average gym did over $30,000 in additional cash collect their first 30 days. So the product worked, right? And it was also exactly what they wanted. And I covered every single aspect of it because I had done it for two years, not including the six gyms that I had on my own. So there was just a depth of knowledge of like, here's how you set up your sales office. Here's how the lobbies works. These are the questions you ask when they walk in the door. Here's how you should do the tour so you can like maximize the likelihood that they buy. Here's where you sit. Here's where they sit. Here's the questionnaire you'll have them fill it out. When you have them fill it out, crouch and be eye level with them because you'll build rapport faster and they'll think that you're accommodating them, right? 
when they finish that, then transition to the office where you'll have an entire wall of testimonials and all of your degrees and stuff like that. It's like all of these things, like this is the offer, these are the price points, and then I would give them all the collateral that we already had that we white labeled. So they could slap their logo on everything we had that I'd built over six years. And so automatically they just had this turnkey, just money-making machine that it's, you know, I took five years, six years for me to, to put together. Okay. You covered a lot of epic stuff right there. And <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> I wanted to go into one aspect here because everything you've done, like you have amazing attention to detail. You have obviously this passion for sales, marketing, and the fitness obviously being the industry that you're in. I just want to open up maybe a little side note here and ask about the key skills that you've developed that have been extremely helpful in building this up. And it seems like this idea of sales and marketing is one of the important ones. Is it something you recommend everyone to develop or should people be developing a key set of skills and it doesn't necessarily need to be those? So, you know, sometimes I struggle to answer broader questions because my answers have changed so much over time. And I wonder what I'll say in 10 years and think that what I'm saying now is stupid. So I say that as a disclaimer. There are three main skills that have to exist for a business to flourish. And flourish is a tough word because there's a lot of people who make a million bucks, two million bucks, three million bucks a year, just knowing one of them, right? And so the three main sides of the stool for any business are acquisition, delivery, and shared services, right? And the delivery is going to be product, client experience, et cetera. You've got shared services, which can be all the things to make sure you don't go to prison, right? Paying taxes, doing HR, payroll, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. And then you have the getting of customers, right? So you got to get customers. You got to fulfill the thing that you said you were going to do. And then you got to make sure no one goes to prison. And so those are kind of the three circles as I see them. And so naturally, most people are not good at all of them right? We tend to have, you know, natural dispositions or proclivities towards one of those three things. Some people are just naturally more promotion type. Some people are naturally product people. And as I've developed in the entrepreneur game, I've connected with more people. I've met true product entrepreneurs and they have a completely different outlook. And some of them are still wildly, wildly wealthy, right? But each of those paths are difficult, right? They're just different. So the guys who are really good at promoting, can never make anything stick. They're just pure marketing businesses. And for most people, you know, zero to one million is just about learning how to sell one product to one person on one channel, right? Very specific avatar, very specific problem, one specific channel of acquisition. If you can do that, you can go from zero to a million. That's what you can do. Going from one to 10 million is much more about increasing the lifetime gross profit per customer, which is gonna come down far more to the delivery and the product. So what's the experience and what's the deliverable that they're gonna get? And how likely is it that they're going to pay, pay a premium and refer a friend, right? If you nail that part down, then all of a sudden you can skyrocket from one to 10, right? Because the thing is so good that people tell their friends about it. And the thing is, is, it's not just that they tell their friends, you have so much more goodwill, you have higher ascension rates, and the profit goes through the roof when you don't have to keep reselling people. That's the piece that everyone misses. Like, the reason that we took home $17 million our second year in business off 28 million, which is pretty insane as a profit margin, with that level of growth, we went from me in the book having $1,000 on December 26th of 2017 to the same date 12 months later, having $3 million in profit in my bank account after taxes to 12 months after that, having $17 million in earnings. I had to write a nice $8 million tax bill there, but you get what I'm saying here, right? Is that there's this massive jump, but the reason it was there was because I had so much goodwill. Like the product that I sold was $16,000, but I just told you earlier that the average they cash collected in the first 30 days was 30 grand. 
And they still had the system that they could use the next month for 30 grand, and the next month for 30 grand, the next month for 30 grand. And so for me, they were calling me back up like, dude, what else do you have? I didn't even need to have an ascension process. They were like, dude, I'll buy anything, everything that you sell, I'm buying. And so I had to just create the track afterwards. And I said, I don't know what I'm gonna build you, but I promise it'll be good. And so I had all these guys sign three-year agreements for $126,000 a pop, and there was no actual deliverable. I had zero. They were like, I trust you. You said what you were gonna do here, what you delivered was far in excess of that. I'll sign up for the next thing, because shoot, the first thing pays for the next thing. And I think that's one of the keys that a lot of people don't understand with the continuity and having ascension is that you buy the goodwill based on the first transaction. And the end of your quote value ladder is the last time that you develop a customer surplus. And so what a customer surplus is, is the difference in your price and your value. So you can't charge 100% of your value and the price. And you will have what I would just consider an economic exchange. It's a fair exchange of value. The person leaves satisfied. They're not going to tell their friends. They might not buy again, but they are satisfied. You're not going to get chargebacks and refunds. They're like, okay, he said he would do this. This is what he did. Cool right? But the thing is, is the more you can lower that, and the thing is, is there's two ways you create that discrepancy. You can raise the value or you can lower the price. For most people, lowering the price is not a good way to do it, right? But if you can raise the value, then that surplus, you basically can carry forward into your next sale. But at the moment that the next sale, let's say your next sale is five times the price, whatever, it doesn't matter. Now that five times the price, there's a certain percentage of people that got value in excess of five times what they first bought, and then they will buy the next thing. And here's the thing is that most people just don't have that much value to provide. And so that last transaction or the second sale or the third sale, depending on where their value ladder ends, your value ladder ends only when your ability to provide value matches your price. So whenever I am someone who wants to do these upsells and I want to be able to provide more value, at this point, you're basically saying that the key thing to develop is not necessarily that marketing or sales skills, but it's the ability to deliver true, genuine value and transformation above and beyond anything you can charge for. Easy to say, hard to do. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I get so. But at the same time, like, wow, when people understand this, that means this key skills that I develop is just understanding more the people that I'm serving and then delivering systems or competence that actually can solve the problems that they have in their lives, right? Yeah. And to be able to develop that, I know this transitioned a bit into the Grand Slam offer because I feel like the offer is the way to at least communicate what you're trying to solve. And I wanted to transition there because we made that promise of telling a bit more about it. My question would be this, is that if I'm out there and I feel like I'm selling the same thing as everybody else, right? And I know we talk a lot about that in the book. What is the mistake that's happening? Because a lot of people, let's say I'm starting an agency, maybe I'm a consultant, maybe I'm a coach. Or maybe I'm in the workplace and I'm working a job that's similar to everybody else. And I feel like the way to excel is maybe to do just a little more than everybody else at the same price, or maybe to be a little cheaper than everybody else and provide the same value. But I know you look at this very differently and you introduce something fascinating around the Grand Slam offer. So a saying that I have, it's not in the book, but it's marketing is about different, business is about better. And you said a very key point is that the offer is the way that we communicate the value that we're going to deliver, right? Because we haven't delivered it yet. We're just communicating the value. And so having a Grand Slam offer will get tons of people to say yes to you. Then the problem is delivering on the promise, right? For me, I would rather choose to have a delivery problem than have a demand problem. It's much easier to fix a machine that's got electricity going through it rather than have 
a machine that has no juice going through it and then try and speculate about what's wrong with it. So I'd rather figure out what does everyone really want and then figure out a way to deliver on it. The process that I take people through the book is, first off, you'll probably need to charge more than you currently are, number one. Number two, you probably need to have a less scalable business model in the beginning, and that's okay, because what we're doing is you're gonna get paid to do R&D. I'm preaching a trajectory that I followed, right? And it's also a trajectory that I've seen so many other very successful entrepreneurs follow, which is everyone has this rocky cutscene that no one talks about, right? These great marketers spent four years cold calling, doing door-to-door sales, stuff that no one talks about. I sold 4,000 gym memberships before I ever taught anyone how to sell, right? And so I knew what I was talking about because I had done it so many times, but it wasn't very glorified at the moment, right? I was just selling a lot, but I didn't realize that my work was working on me more than I was working on it. And so the first step that I just said, right, you'll probably need to charge more than you are. The second is you probably need to have some sort of done for you component where you're going to provide more than you normally would and just go above and beyond. Third is you want to solve every single problem that your prospect has. And if you don't know what they are, that's why we do this really in-depth kind of chapter in your business career. Like, how did Alex know how to fix so many gyms so well? Not only did I have my own six in different locations, but I turned around 33 of my own in black markets, white markets, Latino markets, rich, poor, east, west, UK, Canada. Like we went all over the place and I knew that, okay, in these markets, this is what we have to do a little different. In these markets, they're a little bit like this. And, and I had to learn all these little nuances, but then it just, the depth of the knowledge, the roots were so deep, it was really impossible to compare my experience to anyone else's. And so most people just try and jump to like, how do I make the offer better? When reality is like, how do I make me better? So that when I make my promise, I know that I can deliver on it, right? And so the kind of last step of this is like, how do I solve all the problems, which put that within the vehicle of the bonuses, right? It's like, how can I solve every single problem or rather perceived problem that the prospect has or believes they have? And then how do I reverse all risk to them? How can I create an unbeatable guarantee? And my kind of thinking around the guarantee is, especially when you're starting out, you almost want to make a guarantee that you're scared of. And I say that for two reasons. One, because you'll sell more people. Two, because if you're scared of it, then you're going to work your ass off to try and fulfill on it. And I think that if you raise that level of what you're promising, it will force you to level up. Because a lot of people sell like how to make money. And I'm like, well, what if you just guaranteed that they make money? They're like, well, I couldn't do that. I'm like, well, why not? That's the reason you don't make money. Like that. That's why you're not making money. You know, in our licensing And just for everyone who knows, like that's one of seven businesses that we're a part of. It's kind of how we started our journey is the fitness. And I tell more of those stories because in some of the other companies, I was able to jump like five steps ahead. But like we kind of walked through every one of these steps with that business. Like the average gym that worked with us added $240,000 a year in top line. That was the average. You know, the average gym, 3.1x their profit. They went from $2,950 a month in take home to $8,900 a month in take home. Net of our fees on top of what we build, right? And so if you have that level of deliverable, right, on average, then you will make a lot of money. And that's really what it comes down to. Like, if you can deliver on a promise and deliver something that's very valuable, where people don't have to have lots of effort and sacrifice, which gets into the value equation, you will be rewarded by the marketplace. If I'm one of the people that has that pillar, that stool pillar, that's more around the sales and marketing or the acquisition of customer, what you've just explained is a powerful way to at least, you know, get the electricity in or get the juice in, which is make the sales happen by doing an offer that just really delivers on the problems you want to solve or the perceived problems that they know they want to get rid of. And then you're forced to deliver because you've made those promises. And that's where you're able to kind of like overcompensate for your natural ability to sell, to force yourself to deliver something of great value. And then you grow those skills. And I know in your case, you had this done for you things that you've developed over time. 
And so for whoever's in business, it's basically a question of like, hey, you're kind of drinking water from a fire hydrant because you went in and cracked it open. I wanted to see if you had an example on the other side, which is if I'm someone who's a product entrepreneur and what I've seen a lot of people say is like, I've created something amazing, but I just don't, nobody wants to buy it. Nobody wants to, to deal with it. And I feel like no one understands me better. Would you approach it similarly or would it be a different approach if I'm a product first entrepreneur? Oh, that's great. I have so much to say on that. I'll try and keep it as short as possible. So I hear this one all the time, right? My stuff is so good. If only people knew about it. Thing is, People do know about it. It's your current customers and they're not telling anyone. So it's probably not that good. You think it's good because you love it, but they don't think it's good, which is why they're not telling you. In fact, they're ashamed of telling people about who you are, right? And so we have to ask the question, why are they not, right? And so I would say it's a function of one of two things. Either it's something that the marketplace doesn't want as a whole, that's product market fit, or that you're just not that good at delivering the thing that you sell. What happens most of the time, especially with the promotional-based entrepreneurs like you were referencing earlier, those guys then, they'll read the book. I've gotten so many messages of guys being like, dude, I just 5X'd my income this month, holy cow, you know, from reading the book. And I'm like, right. The problem is that like, you still gotta deliver. That's the part that a lot of people struggle with because most promoters are not natural operators. And so there's two ways you can really go about this. I mean, it's only one way, really. Ugh, I guess there's two. So in theory, you could become the jack of all trades, right? You can learn how to develop product. You can learn how to develop customer experiences that are exceptional, all that kind of stuff, right? Or you can find someone else who can do that, right? And so the, the path from 10 million to 100 million is people. So it goes promotion, zero to one, product, one to 10, people, 10 to 100. And the people can either be in the form of partners, it can be in the form of high level talent that you recruit and bring on board. Sometimes you have to incentive with a little bit of equity, sometimes you don't, depends on the level of the skill, depends on the business. But if you're a product guy, most products suck. <laughs> Most products are not good enough. You know what I mean? Because if they were exceptional, then you wouldn't actually have a customer issue. That's the thing, right? And so it just, it's an easy scapegoat of like, I'm not successful because I'm not one of these marketers. It's like, no, you're not successful because your shit sucks. Like, that's what it is. But it's okay. And that's why going zero to one is you still have to learn enough to promote so that you can fix the product so that it can get to the point where it's not so heavy on the promotion. And then it's ultimately a balanced business. Ooh, that's some truth bombs there and a bit of a reality check a lot for people who might be in this situation. So Alex, thank you for the extreme honesty on it. I kind of wanted to close on one thing that I found interesting within the book, within what you say and the way that you operate your business is a lot of times you tell people like, Hey, everything I teach, I don't want to charge for yet. You only deal with entrepreneurs over 3 million. I wanted you to share a bit more about that mentality about why you do this and what was so magic around the $3 million mark. So I put 3 million as the barrier, but candidly, the smallest business that we're working with is doing about 8 million right now. I just put it there so that if there's somebody who has something like really interesting, I can see it and, you know, have the opportunity to potentially, you know, participate and help them. But I think I'm fairly transparent with my numbers. I think I've been that way because I always hated people who fronted and I had so many times in my life where I was like listening to this person and then all of a sudden I found out that I was making way more than them and I was like, what? And they were just kind of fronting. And so I kind of made a rule with myself that I always be pretty transparent about my numbers. Internally, we operate open books. So every employee knows exactly how much Alex takes home. And I'm fine with that. You know what I mean? I mean, shoot, it's on my YouTube. So I don't really, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, you know, we've taken home, you know, about 45 million in dividends, you know, from our businesses over the last three or four years. And I don't have the desire to create a how to make money online or how to have a coaching business or how to build an online business, you know, that kind of world. I just don't have the desire for it. And so the thinking behind it was, you know, I donate 
all this money to charity. We donate probably a million bucks the last two years each year. And I was like, well, you know, what's more valuable than the money, right? The most valuable thing I can do the marketplace is give the skills, the experiences, the beliefs that I have to other entrepreneurs. I think the world will be a better place if more entrepreneurs are better at business. You know, I think we can all agree the government's not coming to save us. So that was kind of like the overarching thought process. It's like, okay, if that's the most valuable thing, then is there a way that I can supply that at almost no marginal cost? So that's why I started the YouTube channel. That's why I wrote the book and, you know, had the other books that are on the way is that it's, there's almost no marginal cost of distribution. And so I didn't want to build, like I said, a coaching program or any of that kind of stuff. And so I figured for everybody who's under 3 million, 5 million bucks a year, you can just use all the stuff, you know, and my goal was to make it better than all the stuff that's out there because we actually do it rather than just making money saying that we do it. And then, you know, if there is a company that executes all of those things and they grow their company, you know, past 3 million, 5 million, 10 million, and they want to get to 30 million, 50 million, 100 million, et cetera, then we would be able to participate, you know, in an investor advisor relationship. And because at that point they've already proven that they know how to execute and I've already proven to them that I know how to provide value. And so that way it kind of operates off of shared trust from the onset because, you know, they're like, dude, I read your first book and the second book and I watched all these videos and we went from, you know, hundred grand a month to 600,000 a month. And now what do I do? And I'm like, all right, well, these are the things that we need to do, which, and honestly, most of the stuff that is there, I've made some content that would reply to those people. It goes over most people's heads, not in a, like, it's hard to understand. It's just not applicable right now. So I'm like, all right, guys, this is how we develop our compensation plans and lay out our departments. Well, you know, if you've got six employees, you're really not thinking about that. And so it's just not relevant for most people. And so it's, that's why all the stuff that's out there is really like, it'll get most business to about a million bucks a month. That's incredible. Alex, thank you so much for spending this time with me and sharing all these amazing insights for those who are listening. I think they're left with feeling inspired because I know I am. There's something you've created that's amazing. I think there's a lot of nuggets of information here that we can take home. For one is just understanding that yes, there will be struggles along the way because you're trying to figure out your business. You're trying to figure out your product and whatever plan you've initially set up, be okay with the fact that this might change significantly. But what I love the most about what Alex shared is throughout this journey, you're always developing skills, tools, and modifying your beliefs that actually make you ready for the next step that's coming up. If there's anything that's limiting you from selling, knowing that how you can divide your offer into a way that really solves the problems for the people that you're serving is how you're going to be able to identify how to speak to them and how to make what I thought was really brilliant, a guarantee that even scares you a little bit. That way you're putting the risk on yourself. And so you're actually going out there with a need to deliver. And when you do that, yes, you're going to be putting yourself a bit more at risk, but you'll deliver far more than ever, learn so much more through the process and really get you over the hump to really create something of massive value. Alex has delivered everything he's created in the fitness industry and multiple other businesses now, which means that you can take this, you can apply it. And of course, like I've mentioned at the beginning of this call, if you haven't picked up a copy of the $100 million offer, go and grab a copy. I will put a link in the show notes as well as all the educational material that Alex has online at acquisition.com. It's brilliant stuff, everyone. And that's why I'm so happy I had Alex here on the call. Alex, thank you so much for your time and all your sharing. And keep on your journey, man. I can't wait to see you on that billionaire list and look jacked. <laughs> can, can I offer one thing to the audience about the selling thing you mentioned? Please. So when you make a crazy guarantee that scares you, it transfers the trust that is required from them trusting you to you trusting you. And so 
if you don't want to have this crazy guarantee, it means that you don't trust yourself. And then fundamentally, that is why you are not making the money you want to make. Because if you don't trust you, then why should they? And so you're asking other people to trust you when you don't even trust you. And so if you make a crazy guarantee, you can start by just trusting yourself because that's what the guarantee is about. And then over time, you can lengthen that after you have a longer track record to prove that they would have a reason to trust you and they've gotten from referrals and blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. But anyways, appreciate you. And then um, just so you guys know, for the audience, the book's 99 cents on Amazon. I wanted to make it available for everyone worldwide. So, you know, in some countries like India and, and Bangladesh, you know, a $20, $25 book would, is still, you know, like a week's worth of income. So 99 cents is the lowest I could put it on Amazon so that it's available for everyone. And then on acquisition.com, there's a training area that you don't have to opt in for anything. The videos are there, downloads, checklists, all the stuff, kind of the internal SAPs of how you actually create these offers on a consistent basis within your business or product lines. Wow. Incredible stuff. And Alex, I love that last statement because, yeah, I think we expect a lot of trust from others and we haven't done our self-work. And so I'm excited to see people use this in a very effective way. I think it's great advice. So thank you again so much for everything you've provided. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Once again, everybody, thanks for tuning in to Superhumans at Work. I'm very grateful for all of you who tune in on a regular basis, listening to these amazing interviews with these guests that I get to find. Now, if you're subscribed to the show, definitely leave us a review if you can and share it with friends so that we can spread the message and get more people to be able to learn of these fantastic ideas that they can bring in their everyday life. And these episodes, of course, are brought to you by Mindvalley. When you go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman, you get to discover the transformational education that we get to deliver where we bring the best technology, the best teachers, and ensure that it teaches you what leads to a truly incredible life. Thanks again for tuning in and watching the show. And until next time, stay superhuman. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. <laughs>